This is Elena speaking. Welcome to episode six of the Evil Podcast, a podcast where founders get to share their stories from how they got an idea to making a profitable business. We hope this podcast will enable aspiring entrepreneurs to find inspiration and tips to get started. Today, I welcome Sebastian Hossmann, one of the co-founders of Open Seneca. Great to see you, Sebastian. How are you feeling today? Hey, Elena. Nice to see you. Or hear you, rather. <laughs> <laughs> How are you feeling today? Really good, yeah. It's been it's been a busy morning, but I, I'm very much looking forward to this recording today. So I do know you personally, but I think the audience needs to know a bit more about yourself. Uh, could you tell us a bit about your academic and professional background? Yeah, sure. So um, I am, as you might be able to tell, originally from Germany and uh, moved to the UK in 2017. I did my my bachelor's and master's actually in medical physics in Düsseldorf and um, then went to the UK to apply to, for the University of Cambridge and got into the Sensor CDT, which is a really cool program um, because I really wanted to do a PhD to learn to learn more and improve my skills towards becoming an entrepreneur. Um, but yeah, we can maybe talk about that later. Um, and that's a really cool program that is uh, a typical three plus one. So you do one uh, year of master's where you learn all kinds of things and you can pick co- uh, courses um, in, in all kinds of disciplines. So you could do um, sensors, um, which is the overall topic of the course, but we can also do machine learning and all kinds of things. Um, and yeah, and then basically became a sensor engineer in Cambridge. Um, did my three years of PhD, well, actually three and a half because of COVID and uh, just finished my PhD fiver actually last week. Um, so I'm close to becoming a, a doctor. And yeah, that's basically my background. So I'm, en- I'm an engineer uh, in, in Cambridge, if you will. And you're not only an engineer, as you said, you got a bit into the entrepreneurship side. Can you tell us about that? So you in 20, 29, uh, 2018, actually, uh, you started an air pollution monitoring initiative uh, with other PhD students. Uh, and then it became Open Seneca. Am I correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So I, as I touched on earlier, I actually wanted to start a business actually before coming to Cambridge in 2017 already, and did something called the Startup Sprint in in Düsseldorf. But I found um, I was lacking a lot of technical knowledge, and I, I was never this business guy. Like I, I did my, I was basically a fundamental physicist. Um, some knowledge of medicine because that's um, what medical physics teaches you basically um, and yeah and then I uh, came to uh, came to the sensor CDT and met a great diverse group of people with all kinds of backgrounds um, and in the sensor CDT in the MRES year so you get a master's in the first year which is called an MRES a master of research uh, you finish off with um, something uh, they call the team challenge at the it's a summer project at the end of the masters and uh, there ten people are basically tasked um, so the ten people basically the whole cord is tasked to do a project and we could pick between a few and they uh, and we uh, went for air quality sensing actually and the the idea was to combine this kind of science with something uh, more with the soft skill kind of and is uh, so citizen science was. What came up, we combined citizen science with air quality sensing. Um, and yeah, I developed a lot of the hardware 
So we um, we are basically developing air quality sensors that can be built by citizens so they get a feel and learn something about the science behind it as well. You can go monitor the air around them themselves. Um, and yeah, so really the that really kicked off um, what's now Open Seneca. Back then, the summer project, we called it ChemBike, Cambridge Bike Sensor, because we mounted the Cambridge Bike City. So we mounted our sensors on bikes initially. Um, and that then um, went over to Open Seneca, which we, which half of the group roughly um, continued post post the summer project into their PhDs, and I'm still working on it today. In fact, so four years, four years in, and still it's it keeps going. So, what does Open Seneca exactly do? So, Open Seneca is an air quality sensing initiative that builds and deploys air quality sensors for using citizen science in um, mostly in the global south. So we we are by now we have sensing devices in um, in 10 cities, I think across five continents by now. Um, and what we do is basically we have these we have this open source hardware kit that we developed and people can put it together with uh, YouTube tutorials, and then they have this little box which they can mount on their bike or on their vehicle. And the powerful thing is really that um, there's a GPS module and this SD card, Bluetooth uh, display, and then uh, the the particle sensor, which is checking for a particulate matter in the air. There's really no threshold for for these particles to get stuck in the lung. Um, so they're usually um, the size of human hair or smaller, so one to ten micrometers in size, and um, they they can cause all kinds of diseases. They are particularly bad for asthmatic people, um, but in the long run, if you're exposed to high levels, there's not really a threshold. You you can develop uh, lung cancer or heart diseases, or it can even pass into the brain. There's a lot of um, health-related studies being being performed right now on this. Um, so what we do, the powerful thing is really that this this air quality sensor, this this particulate matter sensor that is in the device, um, measures once a second, and you can carry it around. And the GPS module tags everything with a geostamp, which allows us then, when the data comes back to our servers, you basically hook it up to your phone, and the phone sends the data out um, to draw maps of the city, hotspot maps, basically. Of, of pollution. And um, these pollution maps we can then share with, with companies or with um, mostly actually city councils or, or the UN. And they allow policymakers then to take action and fix those problems. That's basically what we do. So there's a lot of data intelligence behind it, but there's also the hardware and most importantly, the citizen education part, because the biggest change you can actually do is uh, by just changing your daily commute or just not cooking inside, not breathing too much fume from barbecues. Um, all these kinds of, kinds of things can really uh, improve your health in the long run. So that's what we do really at Open Seneca. So how did it migrate from being first this kind of summer project to Open Seneca? Like, uh, was it because you saw that was a real crucial need for it, or it was just you, you were really motivated into doing it or making it? you know, almost profitable. What was the inclination to make it uh, to the next step? 
<laughs> so it's um, it was basically a mixture of uh, okay, I want to do something cool with these great bunch of of friends, um, combined with a kind of activism almost for air quality, because it's been it's an underestimated threat. I mean, there's 90, 99% of the people are technically living today in uh, places where the air quality is uh, worse than what the WHO recommends. Um, and for us, it's not so bad. Here in the developing world, um, we have very clean air. We, we don't cook an open fire or anything inside. Uh, our cars are, um, have filters, so they don't um, put push out particles through their pipes. Um, but in the global south, it's a huge problem. It's a massive problem. People are not educated in, in this in this kind of stuff. They um, they just breathe in whatever. I mean, they also don't have a choice really. But education really empowers people. Um, so so that th those aspects and the third aspect is it could turn into a business. So uh, I I always I was always very entrepreneurial, and I wanted to make it a business. I say those aspects come together. And how does it become a, a business? How did you went from just, you know, kind of a student project to a business? Did, did you register? You know, did you find investors? Uh, if I remember correctly, you actually presented it to the UN, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, it basically, so we um, we didn't have the capacity to make it a business we first thought. We we just started into, into different research groups. So we basically spread out across Cambridge and we were very busy reading literature for PhDs and planning first experiments. So, I mean, you can imagine that it's hard to scale a full business at the same time. So what we almost, it all, one came to the other, really. So we applied for, we got this excellent mentorship by the Center for Global Equality, which is a local uh, charity in Cambridge. And they do projects with... Um, Ethiopia, Kenya, um, and also in other parts of the world, but their focus was Africa back then. And uh, they recommended us, hey, um, so Lara Allen, which is an amazing mentor, she um, basically said, hey, uh, we have this GCRF grant. Uh, it's, it was, uh, back then it was 20K um, funding. So it's a, it's a public grant and you can really do, take your technology and do something really, really cool in, in Africa. And I know, a lab in uh, our makerspace, it's called, uh, in Nairobi, that will be really interested in working with you. Um, so we wrote that up as a grant, and we knew we had a good chance of getting it. And in the end, we got it. It, it was a travel grant, so we it basically fitted our, our idea perfectly because uh, we got to travel to, to Nairobi, and um, we could bring our sensors and then co-create the new design. So people came together and said, um, and said, hey, uh, we actually need the sensor to be very powerful to be um, to be engaging for, for us here. Um, and they have excellent user-centered design facilities there. So they have good knowledge, 3D printers, laser cutters. Um, so yeah, that's basically how it came about. Um, we we really got got public funding and we never really got VC investment in that sense. Is this something that you're going to aim for on the long run? Like, how do you see the next steps for Open Seneca? Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, so the so so far we've collected many grants. We've uh, won a few awards. The for example, Lorena, um, also co-founder of Open Seneca and part of the CDT, um, she won the C40 
award which allowed us to scale in, in Lisbon and Stockholm, so two European cities. Um, we were basically the European winners and we won two or four cities in that award. So we could scale 50 centers each per city there. And that worked really well doing our PhDs. Um, we, yeah, as you mentioned, we also pitched to the UN, uh, which also happened to be in Nairobi, finishing up that story. Um, we went back and, and pitched there. Um, but the thing is, these organizations don't have a lot of money. Um, they have, they're basically publicly funded as well. So they need to be really careful how they spend their money. So you can get small pots of money here and there. Um, but lo- in the long run, that's not enough. There was enough when we were P- funded PhD students for our main job. Basically, we got we got that funding, and we could we were flexible in in directing our workforce a bit towards Botanica. But uh, in the long run, I think you need either VC funding to really scale big, or as we did it so far, we grew organically. Um, so we we are in the process of getting the CE marketing for our device right now, and then. Um, sell it to people. We actually have started manufacturing uh, sensors um, in in China. Um, so they basically sent us over parts um, as they did before. We sourced them all the time from there because all the electronics comes from China anyways. And um, so that helped us to grow a bit organically without VC funding, um, selling devices and we still getting orders. For example, we're shipping seven sensors to Nepal next week. Uh, we shipped five sensors to Brazil, I think, uh, last week. Um, so it's it's all small orders right now, and we're still um, growing organically, really. But VC funding is, a, is something we we are looking at into the near future, I think. Um, the thing is, um, with these kind of charitable causes, uh, like social companies almost, it's really hard to make a VC case um, in terms of, okay, we, we're earning you 10, 10 times the money back in in five years or something. That's really hard to do with just air quality sensors or with this kind of company. So we, we are still working on refining the business model so it becomes more attractive for VCs from basically from being the good guys to becoming the commercial guys. I think you can do both, if you ask me. But um, yeah, we need to discuss a bit further, I think. Yeah, I guess it's always the question of finding the right balance for you guys to get a salary and uh, the product to be profitable, but at the same time giving access to this very useful tool. And sadly, you can't always convince, hey, guys, do you want to make sure your air is actually clean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, do you believe you would have been able to create that product without the framework of uh, um, CDT and just the fact that, you know, you had this uh, university kind of mentorship and background? Do you believe you would have found your market and been able to develop everything? That is that is an interesting question. I had not really thought about what would have been if we hadn't all these resources the university is giving us. So. Um, yeah, if I'm being honest, I mean, my supervisor might not be listening right now, but I've used quite a few facilities in our lab. For example, we have uh, in the Institute for Manufacturing, we have excellent laser cutters. Um, so basically, for those who don't know it, it's basically you can cut any type of, usually it's plastic or wood, any type of material with lasers, and you can also engrave them. So that helps you, and it takes seconds, really. So um, that helps you to build boxes for for sensors, for example, or for any kind of thing. 
um, and prototype very, very quickly. Uh, we also have um, excellent laser cutters, all kinds of different models, um, and enough. So there's lots of students starting their prints there and taking stuff home, um, which the university really enables and helped us as well. Um, also, you get in the university, you get all kinds of accelerators. Um, we have the, the Cambridge Accelerate program here, amongst the many others that can help businesses to take off, really. Um, we, the Center for Global Equality, we could have used without, I think, the without the university. But I think the most important fact was really that we had these three to four years PhD um, that allowed us to be funded and not having to think about any financials. So we still haven't paid any any of our um, co-founders any salaries. Basically, the money is just accumulating on our bank account and we're paying for stuff like the CE marking and, and new components. Um, but we, if we had to pay salaries early on, I think we either Open Seneca wouldn't have survived that long, which would be a shame for the world, kind of in terms of social businesses that never can take off. Or we would have needed private investment or, or VC um, who could give us a push. Which is good and bad, by the way. Um, so it forces you kind of to think about a commercial business model, a viable business model really early on, which we never had to think about because we were that soft cushion of the university. Yeah, I was going to say, not only you had the facilities, but that you also had access to those uh, grants through this. Although you also got all these awards and congratulations for that, because that, yeah, that's quite an achievement and, and it really does help. Um, how about how about the timeline? So um, you obviously had the project to start with. And then how did you, you know, make sure you had the right team? Obviously, it was friends that you were working with. Uh, but how do you allocate the roles? And how are you, is your day-to-day like job looking like now at Open Seneca? So we always said when, when we had meetings, um, you quickly realized that um, you you can't do meetings, for example, with people that are interested in the project with six six co-founders of Open Seneca. Actually, um, yeah, right now we're, we're five, I think, um, in one meeting. And that's how it started. But we did not divide our roles really well. Um, we Everyone did a bit of everything. I mean, we have um, we have people who are chemists in the in the team. We have engineers, physicists, and um, even biologists. So um, it then divided out pretty quickly. That we thought, oh, hey, um, I'm going to take this meeting. You're going to take that meeting because I need a technical person in that meeting. So then, um, I don't know, I would join or Pete or or Charles, who who did a lot of the back end work and the um, the whole. Um, map visualization of our air quality data. Uh, maybe we can um, we can talk a bit about that. But the um, these roles they really automatically divide them at some point. I think it's useful to for for example for some um, applications we had to say okay I'm the CTO, um, Lorena is the CEO or something like that. Um, but you really in a startup you do whatever works best for you. I think you can contribute on every front. It's the great thing about this dynamics um, of small businesses. That's very true. And your your day-to-day role now, do you think you've been more on the engineering part? So since you have uh, kind of exported the manufacturing to China, what is going to be your, your role now? Oh, yeah. Um, 
right now, basically, I'm somewhere between um, between yeah, I would say the CTO and the CEO kind of role. I developed most of the hardware together with, by the way, in, in a, a super nice, um, super capable YouTube channel called Fields Lab. Um, he helped us to um, to design our PCB. We had some really good discussions with him and, and he's a really capable guy and also educating people about electronics and PCB design all around the world, really. I think he's he's great. So he helped us um, and, and me do a lot of the hardware part that I'm doing today. I'm still um, in my own weekends. I'm still redeveloping uh, the sensor. Um, but you find pretty quickly that you can't, can't just focus on the technical bits. Um, you can push it away for a while, but um, when, when you have other people that do that grant writing and um, speaking to, I don't know, to other companies or ideally to investors, but at some point you need to step up and say, hey, okay, um, if I want to be part of this and if I want to be part of the funding team, I need to do that job as well. So you, you really work outside of your comfort zone and develop these skills. So I, I'd say, yeah, I'm not just... I'm less than 50% technical almost now. Uh, it's useful to have both skills, but in my day-to-day role, I'm, I'm a lot of, it's a lot of grant writing, to be fair, at the moment. I believe right now, if you're trying to trade market and expand it, you're going to have a lot of market research to do. Did you have to do that before when you were, for example, looking for grants? Was it kind of a way of doing this market research? Or do you, do you feel it's totally different from what you did before? Um, that's, I mean, you're hitting a, the, the exactly right point here. So I'd say the weakness of Open Seneca right now um, is kind of that we need to drill down more on the market research part. So we were all very good in, in engineering and could basically um, build you any type of proto, prototype or product um, and, and tackle any problem. But then having that market fit um, commercially, um, that is something you need to do a lot of market research on. And that's, I think, for me personally, it's very hard, and I'm I'm working on my skill set there right now. Um, but that is, for me personally, the hardest part: the market research. It takes time. You need to you need to start surveys. You need to bug your friends. Hey, fill fill this out for me. You need to um, write cold emails. See what comes back. Back. Uh, call people. Use your network. Um, um, talk to competitors, talk to companies, um, ask, just walk in and ask, hey, what do you think of this? Bring your prototype, um, your minimum viable product, kind of ask them, hey, what do you think of this? Uh, you can't ask in market research, you can't ask how much would you pay for this because you get the wrong answer. You need to somehow present it to them and and see how they react. Um, so it's it's really hard. Um, how you ask questions, how you how you then put everything together, and then and then develop the the market fit. Um, I think that's a challenge, yeah, biggest challenge almost. Did you at any, any point thought maybe you could recruit someone to do this, or is it since you kind of founded it with obviously the rest of the team, you think you have the better vision and mission, and therefore more fits to understand, you know, what would go with this market research, you know, where your product could fit. Um, it's yeah, recruiting someone from elsewhere could bring some fresh wind. I I believe in that. That's recruiting 
I guess I'm not an experienced recruiter in, in any sense because we haven't really we've worked with people on a voluntary on a voluntary basis, mostly um people at ARM, people, citizen scientists that want to contribute. Um, so we haven't really recruited them and paid them in that sense. Um, but I think as soon as people develop this kind of ownership, which doesn't always happen when people just work voluntarily or are not involved enough in the project, as soon as they do that, um, they can really bring fresh wind. But you you need to, I guess, give them freedom to to take the project in different directions. Um, and we've we've not been protective about Open Seneca at all, but um, we also ha- haven't really gotten anyone in from outside. We have more taken advice from more experienced people. Um, but I, I I think this would be one of the next steps: start recruiting as soon as we gather the next bit of money, um, larger funding pot, and then maybe recruiting. Um, one or two people that help us on, on, on market research and, and uh, on, yeah, basically salespeople almost because we have a product. Um, it's just about getting it to the people. Don't you think that it's some, something that could be also like, uh, it goes hand in hand, like, you know, you need to get the money to sell the product, but to sell the product, you're going to need the additional money, right? So <laughs> is it something that you think is going to be hand in hand or is it going to be really just one step, then the other step, one step, then the other step? Um, I don't think there's necessarily a recipe for this. Like do this first and do that, then do this. You often have to go back and forth. And then pivot an idea, pivot, build a prototype, show it to someone, um, in present it in a certain light. Um, uh, by light, I mean like in a certain circumstance for 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 a specific purpose, and see how they react. And then take that data that you generate if you when you speak to people, write it down, go back, um, reevaluate, and maybe pivot a completely different idea when when it's when it's not. The way forward or when it's not financially viable to go down that route even if it even if it sounds great and in, in, in intuitively um you might be on the wrong track um that's something by the way we i said earlier we, want, we always wanted to be the good guys and we we always had our own vision but often um you need to align this vision with what people outside need and sometimes it's not intuitive um, let me think of an example. Um, yeah, I mentioned the colorful thing. So, for example, in, in this, I don't know, in the UK, or in, we want something, we want almost black and white, uh, metallic kind of cool gadgets that look like Apple products, you know. But then you go to, um, you take the device to to Africa or somewhere where it's actually be where actually the target market should be, and they tell you, hey, people here actually like um colorful things and playful things and that's actually much better fit for kids and um so black and white is really boring why don't you change that and then you end up with this intuitive cool product that you think is uh is what you anticipated it to be you end up with something that looks completely different and then you it doesn't have to say it's against your vision um you just readjust yourself as well uh, so you need to really make a make a fit and go back and forth, yeah. 
Yeah, you just have to be open to uh, <laughs> to the different uh, tastes and, and likes of others. Well, that's quite interesting, actually. Uh, maybe you have to adapt to different continents. I mean, who knows? Maybe the uh, black and sleek look will be perfect for Europe, then the US will want something else. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We even thought about making... So uh, right now, our colourful design is mainly based on a, on a sticker that people apply while they're built build their air quality sensor, their hardware themselves. Um, so we put that sticker in, but we thought about, okay, adding every adding different stickers. And when we have a web shop, people can then select, okay, I want this uh, really cool, um, almost evil looking black uh, <laughs> device. Um, I want the colorful one. I want something white, um, whatever fits my bike frame or, you know, yeah. Maybe you, your next um, target market will be, you know, actual bikes, you know, like pro bikes. <laughs> you have a, a specialized <laughs> or a canyon you know, sticker for your sensor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know you're very interested in bikes as well. Um, so, yeah, I cycle a lot. It's People are willing to spend a lot of money on their bikes. So that could be, maybe we can do a um, a pro version that has more features specifically for cyclists. Yeah. Uh, we are already use a Garmin mount. So that's what we, you put your bike computer when you're very professional about it. You can track all kinds of things with that. But yeah, maybe we'll make a pro version of the sensor for that. You just need to make it in a carbon fiber box. It's not too heavy because the pros are not going to like it if it, if it gets right. too heavy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I need to input on that. <laughs> See? So you're already getting some fresh wind. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but speaking about the timeline, so now the next steps is to get C trademark on it, and then you're going to possibly recruit. You are already doing the market research. Um, do you have any inkling of you know what's going on? And is it in the next months, six months, in a year, two years? Do you have an idea of how it looks like and when? Um, so we're at an almost at an inception point right now where. Um, some of us have, I mean, I mentioned earlier, I had, I've had my Viva, so I'm basically finished um, just doing my, my PhD corrections right now. Um, two of us um, are still writing very, very, um, very hard work right on, on the thesis right now. And they might, they need another few weeks. Um, and then it takes, I think it takes a while to, while to cool down from the PhD uh, work because you really, you really hide basically in the basement and just write for like a few months. So then it's, um, when you surface again, you're a bit confused. At least that's what it was for me. Um, and then you kind of, you start being, you start being ins inspired again by things only after a few weeks. Um, you're pretty dead after, after the writing. So we're at this point right now where um, Open Seneca is either, either going to stay a side business or, 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 or die in the long run, or we just take off. Read. It's going to be a really, really interesting next few months. I, I think when we're all a back, back on, back on working with Open Seneca full time, um, we we can actually do something great, or maybe we keep low. Um, let's see. So the timeline right now is: I want to. I have applied for a few grants, um, depending on if we get them. Um, we will. We could take this really to the next level. I'm I'm certainly super keen to do that. 
I was about to ask what would be your <laughs> your deal. Would you really want to, you know, put 100% of your time in it, even if it means that, you know, for a few months until the, the money comes in, if it comes in, hopefully it will, um, means you're not getting paid? Would, would that be a sacrifice you're ready to do? Um, I'm in a comfortable position that I could really um, do three months without any funding and just work on Open Seneca full-time. I'm actually super inclined. I have tons of ideas to to do. We could do, we could put our data on the blockchain. We could, we could, um, we could have rewards with, um, with, I don't know, air quality tokens. We could have, um, we could target so many different sectors. It's super interesting and we have so much room for growth. Um, so I could actually survive and do, do some of the ideas, but I need, um, I, I obviously need my friends there. Well, we started the the idea initially, so I'd really um, love for the others when they resurface um, to join me on this path um, and, and do this full time. They just need two weeks or three weeks holidays after the the Viva, and then it's good. <laughs> Ready to <laughs> I certainly up. need some holidays. That's that's for sure. <laughs> oh, hopefully, you get them. It's. I think it's amazing because your your vision is super clear, but you are a completely different stage of the development than you know others that we interviewed, and it's great because it shows that there's different ways of you know becoming an entrepreneur. Like it's uh, it's not necessarily you know you're gonna put 120 hours in it and then it's gonna be a success. Yeah, sometimes you're doing it part time with a PhD. And you don't have the same support. Uh, having the fact that you have the university support makes it very interesting too, you know, because a lot of people they just completely on their own, you know, and just you have to go for it and just like a massive bulldozer <laughs> of work. Um, so I really, I really like the fact that you have a completely different perspective, a completely different kind of network, and in being a different stage. And I'm honestly, I'm super excited for you. I really hope that you know you can bring it further. And actually, I do have a, a question. Um, would you start another business? Like, would you have any idea of a, a business? And would you be keen on really becoming a serial entrepreneur? <laughs> that's that's actually something I uh, I thought about a lot over the past years. And I think becoming a serial entrepreneur just, I mean, just shows that you can build things, not just on a technical level, which I learned when I when I basically joined Sensor CDT, I started really being good at developing sensors and hardware from scratch. As soon as you can just learn hardware, uh, build hardware and code and all of these kind of things, but basically become, build businesses, um, I don't know, either you you sell them or you just uh, exit in some other way uh, or you just keep going with it. It's, it's the This idea of becoming a serial entrepreneur really intrigues me, um, to be honest. I've had a... I have a few ideas. I, I maybe we can meet in a year, and I, I tell you, I tell you a bit more about things and 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 how they progressed. Um, but a few ideas that I that I want to speak to you next time about um, because they're not really incorporated yet. Maybe next time I see you, you're gonna be a serial entrepreneur for sure, <laughs> doctor serial entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Um, one last thing. Obviously, you're still at the beginning of your entrepreneur journey, um, but do you have any recommendations for other entrepreneurs? Anything that you've learned so far? Um, I I think uh, just go for it. I mean, it sounds almost 
and and I've not been perfect in that myself because I could have gone for it in 2017, but then I, I did a PhD instead um, because I thought I need more skills. But honestly, um, if you just go for it, you learn those skills at the side. So um, yeah, just just go for it. I heard a, um, listened to a very inspiring podcast with Brian Armstrong, um, the CEO of Coinbase, and now he's founding something called Research Hub. Um, so um, he was touching on a lot of these things and uh, he basically said um, the, it's the chances of becoming an entrepreneur, be having a successful full business, are actually not that slim. It's just many people don't, don't go for it. If they have a gap in their CV, they're like, oh no, I, uh, I, need, to, I need to fill this. I need to find a job as quickly as possible. Um, but it's it's not true. You actually have a quite good likelihood by just being that one that actually goes for it and just tries. Um, and when you have any any kind of good idea, just um, take maybe a month off, two months, three months, and just do it. Um, it's easy to say for me because I I have been working on a PhD and and been funded in the background. But uh, if you have the money, just just really go for it. Don't always look for. Don't always listen to your friends that say, "Oh no, this is a dumb idea. This is, um, this, this is this is not going to work." Just do your market research because it's not that intuitive. And those those friends they want to help you, but they they also just have their intuition. They might not necessarily have done the market research that that you do when you actually go for it. Wonderful. Well, I really look forward to seeing lots of um, um, monitoring uh, sensors in bikes. <laughs> Hopefully that's what's going to happen <laughs> in the next months. And um, maybe I get a colorful one and a black, sleek, evil looking one for my <laughs> for my time trial bike. <laughs> but um, anyway, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it was really lovely to hear from you. And um, yeah, really, thank you for coming with us today. Thanks. Thanks, Elena. Looking forward to to having lunch, lunch with you soon and um, meet you again in a year's time or something and talk about whether OpenSelga died or whether we're at the moon. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'll, I'll take you one later. Okay. <laughs> this was Eleanor Foley speaking, interviewing Sebastian Hossmann from Open Seneca. I hope you've learned as much as I did and enjoyed uh, this podcast. And we look forward to welcoming you in episode eight. See you next time.